one appropriate song for today, for Sunday school anyhow, as we continue through the idea of dealing with affliction this morning, we're going to be talking about fellowship in affliction. And certainly Jesus is our friend, even in affliction. Job chapter 20 this morning, fellowship in affliction. Over the last few weeks, uh, certainly we've seen the perspective that Job's friends have, and and really the one-sided argument that they make about the wicked and God's judgment in their life. Um, I think they're all pretty good examples of things to avoid as a friend. Um, showing us how not to be a friend to someone who is hurting. What not to do, if you will. Uh, and this morning, we're going to talk a little about, about being a good listener. And I think we, we looked at some of these things, or similar things, I guess I would say, in, when we were in the book of Job, or not Job, but James. Uh, but I don't think most of us are naturally good listeners. I don't think it comes natural. And there's admonitions in the scriptures uh, over and over uh, to, to watch our tongue and to be slow to speak. And so I, I think our tendency is to speak up more than it is to sit back and to listen. Uh, but Job in, in chapter, we'll read probably both chapters here in a moment, but uh, Job in chapter one or 21, after we'll look at Zophor, or Zophar, uh, perhaps, and what he has to say, and, and what this is his final speech. But Job says this in chapter 21, verse 3, Suffer me that I may speak, and after that I have spoken, mock on. He said, listen to me. He said, but I know you're not going to listen to me. Just let me say these things, and you're going to continue to mock. I, I think Job is looking for a friend that's just going to be there for him, uh, to support him and, and to encourage him. Listen, to fellowship. In his affliction, he knows they can't solve his problems. He knows the things that they're saying are true. In the sense on basics on how God deals with, uh, with the wicked, I think he's looking for someone that just will listen to him and to fellowship with him through his affliction. Uh, he's hurting, and I, I couldn't help but think of Jesus in Gethsemane. Did he not want the fellowship and the nearness of his beloved disciples? Uh, Matthew 26, 38 says this, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even to death. Tarry ye here, and look what it says, and watch with me. The nearness of his friends, I think, meant something to Christ. He, just, he, he understood what he was facing and what he was about to go through. And just to have a friend with you. And certainly they needed to watch and pray lest they enter into temptation. The next couple verses down in verse 41, it says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So certainly there was some benefit for them to watch and pray singular. But I, but I can't help but think that he wanted some fellowship as he was preparing to go through a difficult time. And uh, I want to again remind you of Romans twelve fifteen: Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Sometimes we just need to be with somebody through their difficulty. So let's look at what Zafar, his final speech here, verses 1 through 29. 
And uh, hopefully we can draw this all together about fellowship and, and truly God desiring our fellowship in, in our affliction. But this is Zophar's last words. And uh, really, it's just the same as what we've seen before. Um, Job kind of sums up what they said in chapter 21 and verse 34. It says, how then comfort ye me in vain? Seeing your answers, there remain a falsehood. And so he's got the flip side of the argument. They just have the one-sided argument about this is God dealing, this is how God deals with the wicked. And they don't really make any room for the other. Uh, one commentator said this about Zafar. It says, uh, we will not, or this is his last comments, and, and, and we don't see him again. And this is what he says, we will not miss him. <laughs> like, this is the last we'll hear from this person in good. Uh, he just again assumes God's wrath in Job's life is due to Job's wickedness. Uh, but let's look at these things. And in, in Job really begins in, in chapter 20. Let's read the chapter here. And he just counters uh, what Job says previously. But um, begin reading with me in chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, Then answered Zephar the Naamathite and said, Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste. I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causeth me to answer. Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon the earth? And so he's like, hey, this is how it's been from the beginning. Since man was placed upon the earth, that the triumph of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment. Though his excellency mount up to the heavens, and his head reach unto the clouds, yet he shall perish forever like his own dome. They which have seen him shall say, where is he? He shall fly away as a dream, and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be... Chased away as a vision of the night. The eye also which saw him shall see him no more. Neither shall his place any more behold him. His children shall seek to please the poor, and his hand shall restore their goods. His bones are full of the sin of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, though he hide, excuse me, though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and forsake it not, but keep it. Still within his mouth, yet his meat is in his bowels is turned, yet his meat in his bowels is turned. It is the gall of the ass within him. He hath swallowed down riches, and he shall vomit them up again. God shall cast them out of his belly. He shall suck the poison of asp, and the viper's tongue shall slay him. He should not see the rivers, the floods, the brooks of honey and butter. That which is labored for shall he restore, and shall not swallow up. Swallow it down according to his substance shall the restitution be, and he shall not rejoice therein, because he hath oppressed and hath forsaken the poor, because he hath violently taken away an house which he builded not. Surely he shall not feel quietness in his belly, he shall not save uh, of that which is of that which he desired. There shall none of his meat be left, therefore shall no man look for his goods, in the fullness of his sufficiency he shall be in straits. Every hand of the wicked shall come upon him. When he is about to fill his belly, God shall cast the fury of his wrath upon him and shall rain it upon him while he is eating. He shall flee from the iron weapon and the bow of steel shall strike him through. It is drawn and cometh out of the body. Yea, the glittering sword cometh out of his gall. Terrors are upon him. All darkness shall be hid in his secret place. A fire not blown shall consume him. It shall go ill with him. 
uh, that is left in his tabernacle. The heaven shall reveal his iniquity, and the earth shall rise up against him. The increase of his house shall depart, and his goods shall flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion of the wicked, man from God, and the heritage appointed unto him by God. And so again, he just sums up a lot of the same things. I think Zophar feels a little insulted in, in the basically in the way in in the way he opens up verses one through three. Uh, it says, "Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste." And and uh, <clears throat> he he is uh, agitated, to say the least. Uh, Job has concluded his adversity is not the result of his sin, and, and we see him repeat that again in chapter twenty one. Um, but but Zophar is, is coming at him again, and Job believes his problems could not be God's punishment because of his wicked life. And Job has made that argument continually uh, through this. And, and so uh, Zophar kind of counters that, and he, and he begins arguing with him, and, and he goes and talks about human history. Since the beginning, God has established it to work this way. The wicked will see judgment. Uh, they will be punished. Uh, the experience of the wicked is clear. Their joy is short. Uh, verses 4 and 5, look at what it says in chapter 20. Uh, in verses 4 and 5, it says, Knowest thou not this of old? Since man was placed on earth, the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite for but a moment. Uh, Job, you're going through this because it's finally caught up with you. Uh, don't you get it? Your, your sin was but for a season. Uh, and we know that not to be the case here. Listen, don't forget the picture that the book of Job opens up with. The accuser of the brethren went to God himself. And God gave him the liberty to attack and afflict Job. Job did it for the sole purpose of getting him to curse God. That, did I say Job? The devil did it for the sole purpose of getting Job to curse God. That was the whole purpose, is to get him to curse his God, a God that he had a relationship with. He had eschewed evil to ensure he had a right fellowship with. And so the devil is directly attacking his relationship with his God. I love that picture because God trusted Job enough to let Satan loose. Can you imagine the relationship that God had with Job? The fellowship that they had experienced where he knew that he could turn Satan loose on him and that Job wouldn't forsake him and Job wouldn't curse him to his face. What a fellowship. What a relationship. Uh, that God himself would trust Job in such affliction. Listen, again, I want to remind you, God is drawing, I'm getting ahead of my notes here, but God is drawing you to himself through affliction. Don't lose sight of that. Listen, last week we talked about faith and affliction. When you're going through these things, it's all the more that you need to lean on him and just trust him and be patient. We don't like patience or being patient. I like to have patience, but you got to go through it to get it. And that part's the hard part, right? 
but listen, it's God developing us and maturing us. And so we, we need to have it in our life, whether we like it or not. Some things will not come. Because, listen, there have been times when God brought things in my life and I would have never turned to Him otherwise. I can testify to that personally knowing that. Because oftentimes we'll lean on our self-sufficiency and what we think we are. And when God removes some of that, and boy, we understand, listen, there's so much truth in when you find that He's all you have, you'll find that He's all you need. Listen, we get distracted with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And listen, we just need a relationship with our God. But so Job, or excuse me, Zafar talks about much of the same things. Uh, again, wicked people in general, uh, their, their, their blessings and, and the goodness in their life is all fleeting. Uh, he says in, in verse 16, the wickedness is, or verse 16, he shall suck the poison of asps, the viper shunk shall slay him. Uh, the verses previous to that talk about uh, the sweetness of it in his mouth and, and it conceals it under his tongue and those things are good and, and just kind of the idea of enjoying the sinfulness. Uh, but it's going to strike as a dead snake in the end. So far as just says, you know, you might have been enjoying this or, or even perhaps concealing it from everyone else, but it's going to bite like an asp uh, or the poison of an asp in, in the viper's tongue. Uh, in verses 17 through 20, Zafar tells Job the sinful must return what was gained by plundering the poor. And really he makes an accusation that Job's, all of his goodness in his life was brought on because of his sin. And he was plundering and, and robbing people and taking things that wasn't belonged to him. And God was really just restoring those things back to the rightful people. Uh, taking them from Job. And, and, and because he had got them uh, <clears throat> through sinful means. Uh, and and he says, the greedy are never satisfied. Is the idea here. But Zafar is applying this to the wrong person. Again, these principles are true. But he's misusing the truth here. And he's applying it to the wrong person. Uh, we know that Job wasn't that way. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity, Ecclesians 5.10. So we know that those, those things that he's saying are true. But again, he's misapplying it to the life of Job and to Job's circumstances. I, I, gotta, I might need to move on here. I, I think we're going to get caught up here. I don't want to... Uh, we're going to spend more of our time in, in chapter 21 today, but he carries on verses through 21 and 29. There shall none of his meat be left, therefore shall no man look for his goods. And, and he just really begins to uh, talk about the judgment that God brings upon those that are wicked and, and it will not endure and God will bring uh, his wrath and, and those things upon those people. Uh, Zephar concludes by saying this, is the wicked's portion in this life from God. That's their lot. And again, he's correct in his assessment of the plight of the wicked. Almost. God always punishes unrepentant sinners. Always. But not always in this life. In chapter 21, Job flips that argument all back on to Zafar and gives examples of how the, pros, 
the, the wicked do prosper. Uh, and, and they do uh, go through good times and things. And, and uh, he really handles the truth irresponsibly. And it's because he has no category for the righteous suffering. Listen, the righteous will suffer. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The righteous can be afflicted. And now, I'll, in full disclosure, I'll finish that verse. Many of you probably know it, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Listen, God will deliver the righteous out of all of it, but not in our timing, and perhaps not even in this life. And so he was mishandling the truth. But listen, God will deal with it at some point. Perhaps in this life, but certainly after. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There will be a time when God deals with that. Uh, no question. But let's look at chapter 21, and, and we'll see Job's response. And, and I want to look at verse 2 uh, specifically. It's, but let's read verses 1 and 2. But Job answered and said, Hear diligently my speech, and let this be your consolation. Suffer me that I may speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. And so he said, listen to me. I have something to say. He wants them to listen to him. And so today I want to draw some application about being a good listener. I think it's clear that none of Job's friends know anything about the art of listening. They all just want to get their thoughts out. In their perspective, they just want to share what they have to say. But Job, I think, is, is, is saying something here. The best way that they can come for him, really, is to listen to what he has to say. Even though he knows they're not going to, he says, mock on. He knows they're not really going to listen to him. They're just continue uh, to carry on with what they say. And so we come to this important principle in the book of Job. I think it's impossible to be a good comforter or consoler without being a good listener. And listen, I'm not the best listener. I develop my response while people are talking. That's not a good thing. I say that to my shame. Uh, and, but we need to be careful. Listen, when people are hurting, they do not need a brilliant advice or even really a, a Bible lesson necessarily. That's not what they need. They just need a compassionate ear sometimes. Many of you men are married, and I'm sure you've experienced something similar. If not, maybe my marriage is a freak. Uh, not because of my wife, but because of me. But um, I can't tell you the number of times Cindy said, I don't need you to solve this. I just want to talk about it. Any of us hear that before? Listen, I, I am so prone to try to bring a solution to it, and that's not what she wants at that time. She just wants a compassionate ear. She wants somebody to listen. And <laughs> I've only been in this position for a short number of time, but she looked at me already and said, I don't need a pastor right now. She just wants her husband. But sometimes in my mind, I just want to problem solve. I want a solution. I want to work through this. And, and that's not, listen, we need to be good listeners. Verse 2, it says, hear diligently my speech and let it, this be your consolation. Job is wanting some fellowship. 
Job is, is wanting some people to listen to him. So I got seven thoughts today about being a good listener. Let the person speak and don't rush them. Don't make them feel rushed in, in having to explain. Just, just be there. Listen, you earn the right to speak by listening. Sometimes it's hard, but take the time and, and be patient and let them, let them speak. Let them share what's on their heart. Let them share the affliction that they're going through. Uh, but oftentimes in our effort to help, we dominate the conversation. Is that not what Job's friends have done? They've dominated with their thoughts and how, and I'm getting ahead of myself again. I, we're going to run out of time, but his friends never offer hope. They never offer any hope. They never offer the thought of repentance. If he is in sin, he needs to repent, right? But they never mention that kind of stuff. They're just saying, you get what you deserve, basically. They're more miserable friends, is the bottom line. Proverbs 10, 19, In the multitude of the words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. James 1, 26, If any man among you seem to be religious... And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, listen to this, even a fool when he holdeth his peace is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. You can be a fool and not say anything, and people might perceive you otherwise. Listen, sometimes we don't need to give our point of view. We just need to listen to what they have to say. Let them speak. Don't dominate the conversation. The biblical illustrator says this, a man whose tongue is always wagging is doing a serious injury to his own intellectual and spiritual nature. Our tongue reveals a lot about us. Let's be careful how we let it wag. Listen, don't argue or correct. No matter how wrong you think a person is, just nod and in affirmation and listen to what they have to say. Don't act surprised at what they say either. No matter how belligerent they may get, no matter harsh or bitter they seem, and don't respond hastily to what hurting people may say. Sometimes we say things in our pain, in our hurt, that maybe we don't even agree with. We're just expressing how we might feel at that moment or at that time. But arguing or trying to protect what is said is usually will either cause the hurting person to stop talking or it's just going to anger them, make them mad. Maybe we could heed Proverbs 29, 20. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than of him. Sometimes we don't need to correct they're just expressing themselves and what they're facing. Uh, Job's friends obviously felt the need to correct and, and share their ideas, and it wasn't very effective. In 21, verse 34, we can, How then comfort ye me in vain? Job said, This isn't doing any good. Sometimes they just need to vent. More than anything else, hurting people need to vent their hurt, frustration, or anger. But in order to do that, they need to do that, or they need to be able to have somebody that's going to listen without criticism or correction at times. 
Don't criticize them. Don't try to correct them because, listen, you don't know the whole story. You think you do. Job's friends obviously thought they did, but they didn't. They did not realize that God had allowed Satan to do what he was doing in the life of Job. But feel free to ask questions as well. If you don't understand what the person is saying, ask questions. Let the speaker know you really want to understand what he or she is saying. That's being a good listener. Most of us are so anxious to express our our own genius or relate our own thoughts that we just share our thoughts rather than asking questions to gain greater understanding of what they're facing. You know, in in this Christian life, and as we should be fellowshipping with one another, and encouraging and exhorting and strengthening one another. Iron sharpeneth iron, right? In this Christian life, we can learn a lot from those that are in affliction. How are they dealing with it? How are they going through this? But oftentimes we don't because we just want to give them the answer. We want to share how we see it should work out or how we've seen it in our experience. And so don't be afraid to ask questions, but be slow to speak. Don't be afraid of silence either. I remember a, a time in my life I was dealing with something with someone and, and we sat there for what seemed like forever in just silence because nobody, I didn't know what to say and they must not have known what to say and it was just awkward. But it was the most effective thing because it allowed us to gather our thoughts and, and, and those things. Listen, If you break periods of silence, it might rob them of something that they need most, time to ponder and to think about what is going on or what has been said. Uh, Or have you ever been in a situation where you're building up the courage to say something but the other person won't ever shut up? Don't be afraid of silence. Uh, They might be ready to express something that, that will help in that situation. But if you're afraid of silence and you feel like you just got to be a jatterbox, you could be hindering what's going on there. And listen, sometimes you just need to be there with somebody. Everyone that's hurting needs some quiet time to think at some point. They certainly do. And what I, I would say this, that number six, we're almost done with these couple practical things, but if appropriate... Give a reassuring touch. When somebody's hurting, a hug might be what they need. Um, this is a little bit different, but when Josiah Bell came back, I gave him a big old hug. Um, I just wanted him to know that I missed him and that he's appreciated and he's loved and we're glad that he's back in the fellowship. Uh, listen, sometimes it needs to be appropriate, obviously, right? I'm not going to go around hugging all the ladies. I'm not saying it's wrong to hug a lady either. It can be done appropriately. Listen, I think we misunderstand a lot of this intimacy that we can have in the, in the fellowship. Uh, they were talked, I don't know why this is coming up, but the holy kiss, right? They had a very intimate relationship, but it wasn't inappropriate. And so if it's appropriate, uh, 
give him a, a, a reassuring touch. Listen, Matthew 8, 3, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This man comes to Jesus and he kneels before him and asks to be healed. And what does our Savior do? He reaches out and touches him. Can you imagine the, the feeling of love and compassion that was expressed in that touch? There was nothing inappropriate about it. And so listen, if it's appropriate, uh, you can touch them. Look them in the eye. As you listen to someone, uh, if you look them in the eye uh, and you're, you're listening to them and you're looking at them, it can provide some comfort and, and it helps them know that you're engaged. Uh, you're not just, just there. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. You know what's missing there? There's no reference to the mouth, no reference to the tongue. There's an absence of that. And so I, I, it's just an opportunity for us to uh, engage uh, more genuinely, I think. You can listen with your head. You can nod, affirm the things that you're there saying. And, and let them know that you're engaged in what's going on. Oftentimes when we talk to people, we're, and listen, I'm guilty of all this. I'm guilty of spacing out when I'm talking to people. We need to be careful. Uh, show people that we're genuinely interested in them. Job's friends have been very selective in their observations about the wicked people. They've been very selective. And, and he asks them why the wicked grow old. Let's look at some of this in chapter 21 as we have a few minutes before we close here. I really want to try to tie a bow around this before we get out of here today. In affliction. Maybe I put it too far in my notes. But Job comes back out and, and verse 22 shall, well, let me not skip that far down here, but um, look at verses 7 through 16. It says this, Wherefore do the wicked live behold, or become old, yea, are mighty in power. Their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. And so he's contrasting all these things that he's observed in the wicked here, right? They've said the wicked will be cut down basically, and they will not prosper at all. And, and so Job kind of brings the opposite of that argument. Uh, I've read verse 8, verse 9 says, Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth and faileth not, their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. Uh, they take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment, go down to the grave. Therefore, they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the might, Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pay unto him? And they're like, What is the gain of that? Look at how we're prospering despite our rejection of the Almighty. This is what, and so he, he has the flip side of the argument that all of his friends have had to this point. Lo, their good is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How oft is the candle of the wicked put out? And how oft cometh their destruction? God is startles in his anger. <clears throat> they are as stubble before the wind, and as the chaff that storm careth away. God layeth up his iniquity for his children. He rewardeth him, and 
he shall know it. His eyes shall see his destruction and he shall drink the wrath of the Almighty. For what pleasure hath he in his house after him when the number of his months is cut off in the midst? Shall any teach God knowledge? See, uh, seeing he judgeth those that are high. And, and Job points out that he's rarely seen any wicked people suffer as he does. Remember the suffering he's going through. I would say it's exceptional. Uh, he doesn't always see that. Uh, shall any teach God or teach God knowledge, seeing he judgeth those that are high? In other words, do his friends think they have more knowledge than God? And again, their simplistically thoughts on the matter uh, have made them oblivious to the obvious. God often allows the wicked to prosper and the righteous to suffer. It does happen. In verses 23 through 26, Job says there is no set rules that govern either the wicked or the righteous. And look at verse 23. Through 26, one dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk, and his bones are moistened with marrow. And another dieth in bitterness of his soul, and never eateth with pleasure. They shall lie down alike in the dust, and the worms shall cover them. Listen, the worms don't discriminate. The wicked, the righteous, boy, I'm going to eat them all up. You've all seen maggots crawling around a dead carcass, they're not discriminating. They really have no knowledge of what took place in that person's life. And I have some, some notes about some of these things in verse 24. Uh, I'll just say this. You can look at it for yourself. His breasts are full of milk. And that, that word uh, for his breast doesn't appear anywhere else in our Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, Atin, I believe is how you, you pronounce that. And, and uh, well, we got time. Let me read what Matthew Henry says on, on verse 24. It's really, let me read the whole thing instead of just the, the beginning part of that verse. His breasts are full of milk and his moistened with marrow. The idea of being in healthy and, and strong. This is what Matthew Henry says about this. That is, he is healthful and vigorous and of good constitution. Like the milk of a cow that is fat and in good liking. He counts upon nothing but to live many years in mirth and pleasure. Thus fair does. Uh, he bid for life and yet he is cut off in a moment by the stroke of death. And he goes on with this note, it is a common thing for persons to be taken away by death when they are in their full strength, in the highest degree of health, when they least expect death and think themselves best armed against it and are ready not <clears throat> only to set at death, but uh, to set in a defiance. Let us therefore never be secure, for we have known many well and dead in the same week, the same day, the same hour, nay, perhaps the same minute. Let us therefore always be ready. Nobody knows where they're going to die. In the application here that Job is saying, it could be somebody that, uh, that appears to be blessed, uh, regardless of their wickedness or not. And, and again, the worms don't discriminate. Everyone's uh, going to die. And so as we prepare to close this, Job in 34, it says, How then comfort ye me in vain, seeing your answers there remaineth falsehood. Job flips their argument on their head and says, listen, this, what you're saying isn't true. That's not the end of the whole story. There's more to it. And so as we make the application today, I want to remind you of some things. As we, as we come across people that are afflicted in our lives, as we come across people that are in trials and difficulties in life, we need to remember that the point is knowing the Lord. 
in Zafar's speech, is, it's all condemnation. I mentioned this earlier. There's no hope. There's no offer of mercy, no call to repentance. It, Job, it's you're wicked and, and you're receiving your just due and it's just hopeless. Uh, but for Job, it was never about prospering, but being right with God. And when we see Job asking these questions, I think he's just feeling separated from his God. He had this great fellowship. And now all of a sudden, these things in his life, and he feels distant from God, and he doesn't know what is, is happening. This is, I know you guys know this in principle, but I don't think we fully understand it. This life is not all about prospering and wealth, but coming to know God. As Jesus suffered, what did he say? My God, my God, why am I in such great pain? No, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For Jesus, as well, it wasn't about prospering. It was about knowing the fellowship of the Father. And so as we try to help others, we must remember God may never deliver them from their pain. God may never deliver them from their horrible situation or circumstances. God may never deliver them from their affliction. He wants to deliver them to Himself. He wants to draw them to Himself so that they have an abiding, deep relationship with Him. And so as we try to help people, certainly we need to listen, be good listeners, and we want to help those people that are, that are in... in in affliction, and we want to have that fellowship with them through that, but we need to remind them that their fellowship truly needs to be with the Father. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We need to remind them that the Lord is good, the Lord is merciful. And they need to look to Him in their affliction, in fellowship with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, Lord, for this day. Lord, I'm not sure I effectively conveyed my thought and my heart this morning, but I pray that You would make up the difference. And Lord, I pray that You'd help us to be good friends, Lord, encouraging friends. And Lord, I, help the, I pray that You would help each one of us to have greater fellowship with You in all the circumstances of life. Lord, that we would turn to you in your goodness. And Lord, that we would turn to you even when things aren't good, when we don't think they're good. Lord, help us never to forget that you give and you take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We pray now for your blessing upon the service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.